sure you've seen the meme or heard the saying, hire for attitude, train for skill. And our guest today does just that. You'll want to stay tuned in. Welcome to Unity Talks, where the hiring experts of Dallas-based recruiting firm Unity Search engage in lively discussion with successful business leaders to dissect their careers and how they got to where they are today, the obstacles overcome to reach their success, and steps they've taken to stay at the top of their respective fields. So listen in as we provide you with the thought-provoking conversation and ideas that keep industries moving forward. And welcome once again to the Unity Talks podcast, where we interview leaders across DFW in accounting, finance, and tax. And we talk about a variety of topics, why they chose accounting, finance, or tax, what brought them to DFW, how they develop in their career. And we're really excited today with our guests. So I wrote a couple of things down because I want to make sure I get it all right here. So our guest is the Director of Financial Services at Freeman Company. I've known him for about four and a half years. Uh, he is a world traveler, which is true. I've talked to him about traveling all the time, all over the place. Once you get to know him, he has a personality that can fill a room, maybe a small room, but he has a personality that can fill the room. And I like to call him the most interesting man alive, and he should be very appreciative about that one. Val Osipov, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. That's the best intro I've ever heard okay, in my life. Okay, I was going to say, did I did I over undersell? Like, no, where am I at? You've done just enough. Okay, just enough. You've done just enough. I couldn't have said better myself. <laughs> well, we we still want you to be a client of ours. So I was trying to like find the line. I will never leave. Okay. I will never leave. Oh, I feel good. Now, so seriously, I mean, big trips. You got one coming to Australia really soon. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my daughter lives in Australia. So, I mean, they finally opened up the country and I I took an opportunity. I have to go. I have to see my baby uh, girl. And what uh, what city? She's in Byron Bay. So just outside of Brisbane. Awesome. Beautiful. Awesome. It's going to Jealous. be the whale migration season. Man. So it is going to be like two weeks. So two weeks. you fly there, you spend one day with her and you fly back because you only have two weeks. Exactly. And that's what, I, it, it, that's what it's going to take, probably two weeks to get there and two weeks to come back. Uh, so I probably should take a month. So I know. We'll I know. That's okay. That's okay. You'll report back and then I'll go visit. Right? You should come with me. Oh, man. I think we're going to have so much fun. I think we could do that. Yeah. We can manage that. Hey, seriously. So you decided to become a finance professional. And I've talked to some of your current coworkers at your current company who said that Val should be a comedian. I don't know why he chose finance. Why did we land on finance? How did we get here? I guess we'll have to bills to pay, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that helps. I mean, it doesn't always work out. Yeah. It helps. For all of us. Yeah. Um, you have to give me some names. Who told you that? But that will be later on. Um, like any other little boy growing up, I wanted to be in finance. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the I mean, boyhood dream. Exactly. I be you want to be interesting going to finance. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the, the real story. Um, I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, maybe the next week I wanted to be a doctor. Then I wanted to be a, a train engineer. I Actually, the became, I became a pilot once I came to the United States later on. So I had to wait a couple of decades to become a pilot. It's just a private pilot license. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, But that dream was fulfilled eventually. Um, you know, and as I was growing up in high school, I discovered that I was good with numbers. Who knew? My parents definitely wouldn't have guessed that when I was in fifth grade. 
but the math and physics kind of interested me, so I nerded out a little bit on that for the last couple of years in high school, and I thought I was going to be a mathematician. Looking back, I'm grateful I didn't take that step. <laughs> I went to the engineering school and in the, back home, and I studied navigation systems and gyroscopes, and then I moved here. And when I, when I came to the States, I figured that finance was the thing that I was going to do. So I went back to school and studied finance. And um, the rationale for doing it was that finance is the thing that kind of glue that holds everything together, right? There's always money to be counted. I'm still counting it. Yeah. Oftentimes, not my own. Yeah. But seriously, though, it, it, it's, it, has, it has been a career path I've chosen consciously. I mean, part of it is because of, you know, the, the knack for the numbers, I suppose. I like the numbers, I like the patterns and the data. I like to figure those things out, but I also like the interpersonal aspect of, of my current job, mm -hmm. right? It's not all about the numbers, right? You get to talk to real people about the real problems. So all of that came together. So that's kind of the long story of yeah. how I came to finance. Did you ever feel that, you know, you had all these career aspirations, even when you're a kid, like I did, I wanted to be this professional athlete and that professional athlete, then it was a doctor. Did you ever feel that um, when you came to the, you said, when I came to the U.S., that's when I got into finance. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that you were remaking yourself or did you feel that you were just kind of becoming who you should have been? I think your life is, is a journey, right? You discover yourself. Every, every year you, you live, you learn something about yourself. And obviously when I want to be a pilot, I was what, 14, 16, mm -hmm. right? Um, but then as you grow up, you discover the things that interest you more and you kind of become probably more rational in your choices. Yeah. Right. And what speaks rationality is, is finance. I don't think anything else would. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it, it was it was the process. It was the evolution of me that took me there. Not so much that I knew it early on I was going to do this. Um, and even as, as I kind of got into finance, I worked for Citigroup for a number of years, then for other finance companies. It's always an evolution. You do something else. You don't stick with one thing. You keep it interesting. You've touched on something already. Uh... You know, we've, we've often heard, and you see these memes and quotes all over the place that say, um, hire, for, hire for attitude, hire for effort, mm -hmm. you can train skill. And you see that a lot, or however it's said, it's said many different ways. And uh, a lot of leaders I talk to, you know, that's, that's what they go into it. And then you get into the interview and there's, there's a lot of skill questions. And that's fine, everybody has their own style, that's okay. Right. You truly are, like if I go into an interview with you, I'm probably not getting asked a skill question because you truly believe, I, I can teach you that. There's so much more in the interpersonal skills and the attitude and the effort and who you are as a person. So how did you adopt that and, and how has that become the way you've built teams? That's a good question. Very true. Um, I, I believe that hiring managers fall into crudely speaking, two main camps, right? One is hiring for the skill, the other hiring for the attitude, the worldview, the cultural fit, if you will, whatever that means, and we all mm -hmm. define it for ourselves. I, I belong to the latter group, right? I hire for the cultural fit. I wanna make sure that the person has the right worldview, if you will, right? Their positive outlook on things. Are they comfortable with change? Are they comfortable in certain, 
real-life situations rather than me asking them questions, can they use Excel, mm -hmm. can they use a financial calculator, have they ever done this, have they ever done that? Because like you said, I can train all that. What I cannot train is, is the attitude, right? By the time we hire someone, that person had formed already, for better or worse, and you want to bring somebody on your team who will add to the team, not subtract from it, right? We spend a lot of time together on teams, right? Not the teams, the software, although we do a lot right now. Mm -hmm. But as a group, we spend a lot of time together in the offices or even remotely, and you want to like people you work with. And as a leader, that's what I want to bring to the team. I want to bring another team member that would add, right? That would make my team better. And again, you would want some technical skill. Obviously, you won't just hire somebody with absolutely no experience right. for certain jobs. But that's not the main focus. Um, and you mentioned, you know, in my interviews, that's exactly how they go. I mean, if you were to just be a fly in the wall, listen on my interviews, you probably wouldn't have guessed for what position I'm hiring. I mean, they're probably not how, how, medical type of questions, yeah. right? Well, how did, so I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. Cause I want to, I want to go back. I don't want to leave this. So keep, keep where you were going. Okay. How did you come to the conclusion that this is what works for you? Was, was it someone you worked for? Was it just trial and error combination of all the, like, how did you arrive at this? I think it's trial and error. I mean, I've lived long enough now. I mean, there's some runaway behind me <laughs> that I have, I have. I have been an employee, I am an employee, right? And I have been an employer as well. And you kind of start to pick up on, on the signals, if you will. You better pick up on the signals by the time you get to this right page. And, and you see what works in groups, what doesn't, right? So why would you be going after, um, I mean, or perpetuating a concept of the skill is the, is the foremost and always the most important? rather than learn from the lessons of the past, right? To see which people have, have succeeded in your experience, right? I mean, we, it doesn't have to be just in my own experience. I mean, we have access to YouTube. You see what successful people do, what they don't do, right? We hear all these top 10 YouTube videos, like do the, you know, the top 10 things and be successful. I mean, they're kind of corny sometimes, but they're true, right? And, and if you boil it down, all of them, to something, to just come some kind of a substance, you'll find it's about attitude. It's the good habits. It's never about the skill. Like, hey kids, go learn Excel. Go learn programming, SAS, SQL. I mean, anything you would want to name. Yeah, those things are important, right? And you want to have some in your toolbox to draw upon later on. But once everything else fails, right? What's left is your personality, your attitude. And people want to be with you. People want to do business with you, whether you're in sales, right? Or are you just in the office job and you may never see a customer again but you have internal customers, you have, you, you have your uh, teammates. You know, so yeah, so it sounds like it's been trial and error. It sounds like it's been your perspective from what's worked with you interviewing people um, and also as an employee working their way up the ranks. Because I think about like just from an observation standpoint or clients that I meet with, um, mm -hmm. if they're a CFO, there's almost this, uh, you know, when you begin your career, you know the book side. And that's not really that practical. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the job and it's like, wow, they never taught me this when I was in school. And so you're getting taught the skill um, and then you become technically sound as you progress in your career. At least you hope you become technically right. sound or you're gonna like reach a ceiling pretty quickly. 
And then as you reach the top, as you reach that CFO job, from an observation standpoint on my end, I, I feel like um, they probably have the skill, but they probably have lost a little bit of that skill because they're more focused on the people development and leadership qualities. So, you know, it's not as if the skill, to your point, is what gets you there and keeps you there. What gets you there is leadership, interpersonal skills, working right. with people, and that's also what keeps you there, right? Right. I mean, it, if you think about the skill and, um, and other intangibles, right? So if, if we put a skill as a, a tangible skill and everything else as a soft to intangible skill, right? Then, then the skill is almost like your ticket into the job first, right? As you're coming out of college, your resume is empty. All you have is your GPA, right? And you're like, this is me, mm. right? And you present yourself and the employer would take a chance on you, mostly for what you've learned in school, right? But as you progress, that drifts away. And for you to then take the next step and the next step and the next step, people have to like you. It's really that simple. Right, because if if anybody's going to hire you for a position to manage other people, not only you have to be technically a, a, uh, savvy, right, but most and foremost, you have to be able to lead people. And you can only lead them if you're the person that people would like, people would trust, right, and people want to be like you in some way. I know it's a big statement to make, as if I am that person that people always look up to, but I want to be, yep. right. I you're strive to. Stri I strive to be the leader Perfect. like that. Perfect. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just wanted to pause on that because I wanted to see how you ar arrived at this is how I'm going to conduct myself in interviews and how I'm going to construct a team. And then, you know, in a few minutes we can get into what is the impact on your team having mm -hmm. done that, but it's because I'm sure that's trial and error. Trial and error. You, you were going back to where I, before I cut you off, you were talking about, you know, if someone was in my interview, you probably don't know if it's for a finance job, what finance job it is because of what you're asking them. So what are you, what are you asking? What are you trying to pick up on? Is, mm -hmm. it, is it how they're sitting? Is it their behaviors? What are we looking for? What they're looking? Uh, no, they're right. Um, I have, and you know, those uh, on my team that, you know, they've been on interviews with me, they already know the question. Uh, one or two questions I like to ask. and. The most popular one for me is 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 the question about is it better be uh, right or polite? And I clarify by saying polite meaning so so let's say in life and in, in companies you have policies right the set of rules that you live by don't do this do that this is the guardrail don't go over it there's the edge of the earth you will fall over right so people tend to fall into some categories, right? I mean, some could go on either extreme and say, I'm always going to be right. This is what the policies say. That's what it's written in it. Sure, very and black and white. And I'm just going to go black and white, yeah. right? Other people could, be, could find themselves on the other uh, side of the spectrum and they're going to say, I think customer is always right or anyone is right for that matter, right? I just, I'm not going to rock the boat, so I'll be polite, right? They probably know what the right answer is, but it's like, no, nah, I'm just not going to do it. And there's a lot of gray in the middle, which is real life. So what I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to get out of it by asking that question is that the person can think for themselves. They're not trying to guess the answer, right? And the answer I'm expecting to hear is like, well, it depends. 
the best finance answer you can always hear, right? It depends. There's almost a never black and white answer. It depends on many different inputs, right? And as soon as they say that, I, I can move on to the next question because I just heard what I wanted to hear. Um, and the reason for asking that question is that you, me personally, I don't want anybody on, on the team that would be so categorical as to like put the, you know, a stake in the ground and not move it, just be so categorical about op opinions. No or, flexibility. No flexibility, yes. That's the word I was looking for. And I, because I don't think that contributes anything. I mean, you want people to obviously, you know, respect the policies, respect the rules, that, that goes without saying, but they have to understand the real life sometimes asks for, you know, a bit of a creative thinking, right? At the very least, ask someone for an answer. Like, if you don't have to have it, but have enough presence to ask someone else, and then we'll both will figure out rather than just say no, or always yes. So, so as you are, so you interview them, they pass the polite right test, yeah. you know, you're like, they walk out of the room, you're fist pumping, like, got another one, this yeah. is great. So, um, as you bring them on your team and you work with them, is it in a one-on-one? -on -one, how do you enhance their interpersonal skills? Because you can't, you can't change who they are at their core, right? That's developed from uh, a kid and all their life experiences to the point that you made earlier. But, but you can certainly enhance and advise and and got, put the guardrails up. How do you how do you do that? Because that's those those can be sensitive topics. Could be. Um. What I like to do is is to use real. Um, so we do once a week kind of a stand up call. Right now it's all calls, right? And we kind of go over some things that either we would expect to happen during the week, just as a team, whatever household items we have. Usually during those calls, I may bring up an example without naming any names, but the real life example, right? That we would play out as a team or me just playing out in front of them, that would highlight the point I'm trying to make, right? I mean, sometimes it's about negotiating, right? Because a lot of what we do is about either collecting or credit extension or anything to do with billing. Sometimes you have to discuss topics that outside the comfort zone, right? To make people comfortable with discussing those topics, you have to give some examples, right? You have to put the guardrails. So we discuss those topics, right? We discuss how to negotiate. How to, how to open up the conversation so people don't close down, but instead we'll give you another minute to listen to you, right? How to be empathetic. And so I use different examples to, you know, to kind of put it into my team, right? Let, let them absorb it. In fact, I asked them not to write anything down because I think that once you write it down, you're almost looking for a template. And I'm just against templates, if you will. And so we, we use the role play, we use, we use those real life situations to, to learn from, right? And, we, and it's a kind of rinse and repeat because you can't just say it once, right? You kind of have to reinforce. I do it for myself more than anyone else sometimes, yeah. right? I mean, it's not that I know it all. I mean, m you know, my, uh, my associates would bring something to me. Oh my God, we just shared this experience among us all the time. I love it. In fact, so we have Rebecca sitting in the room. She's working, and I call myself the chief repeating officer all the time because I just repeat the same things over and over. Half the time it's for them because it's important to get the message across. And half the time it's for me because I need to be reminded of these little things. And I love the idea of role playing 
Um, and, and we'll deconstruct deals in our office with other people contributing and giving their part because, you know, many minds is better than just one mind as long as you can kind of keep the focus on right. what the objective is. And, and you know, the one thing I would say, you, you said, you know, let's talk about reconstru uh, deconstructing a deal um, or a negotiation. And sometimes, mm -hmm. and you said, you know, sometimes we won't use a name. Um, sometimes we, we won't use a name, but other times we will use the name and they're in the audience uh, in the office and we're talking about it because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's easier many times to talk about a, a topic like that in front of everybody because everybody gets to learn. Mm -hmm. And when you do it one-on-one, -on -one, you're only, it's a, it, only that person is learning. And then right. you think, well, I, this would be really good if everybody heard this. And everybody usually knows what everybody else is going through, at least in our office, because it's a small office mm -hmm. and we're such a close, close team. And so we all talk about it, but it's not as if we're trying to talk about someone. We're trying to use that and say, here's what we can do. Here's what we can learn from that. Here's what we can get better at. So I love the role play idea because so many people, I mean, your team, you know, whatever it is, 10 people, 20 people, they're all learning in the moment and it's something right. that they can face. I think that's such a great idea. I haven't heard, we use it. I haven't heard many people use kind of the role play idea. Yeah. I mean, we don't use it all the time. Yeah. But there are cases when, when it's very helpful, right, to demonstrate the point. Because for us to put ourselves in the shoes of a customer, right, to kind of switch the seats, if you will, right, and imagine what they're hearing us say. Because, you know, oftentimes we use the terminology that only we can recognize and we think the rest of the world would know. So we highlight those points, too. I was like, would you know if I just said SAP to you? If you were a customer, you've never heard of SAP, would you know what that meant? Right, they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right, so, I mean, to that extent, it's very helpful, right, to kind of switch seats with the customer. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier, and it kind of goes right here, you said uh, one of your sayings is uh, a toolbox of options to draw from. Yeah. And so to apply it to what we're talking about exactly right now, when you do that role play, you're arming everybody on your team with more tools in their toolbox exactly. that when they get in that pressure situation with right. a client, their mind goes back to the conversation, right? right? So right. how did you come up with this toolbox? Like that's, that's some type of philosophy or saying that you use. What does that mean to you? Well, I, I, the way I would describe the toolbox is, is just experiences and skills you accumulate over a lifetime. Right, it's not a one particular thing or applicable only to a particular job or skill or profession, right? It's, I mean, as long as, as long as you live, you learn something, you better be learning something, right? And I hope many of us retain from every year that we've learned something. So that, I mean, that's what I meant by, by the toolbox, right? And keep it fresh, right? I mean, draw from different experience that you had as a person, whether it's professional or personal, it doesn't matter because it, the multitude of those experiences expands your horizon, right? It, it makes your decision-making better. Because, I mean, just, you know, take me as for, for an example. I work for different companies, right, in different industries. I worked for Citigroup. I was doing commercial equipment finance, you know, the big yellow metal, Caterpillars and such mm -hmm. financing. 
then I work for a decade at the Marisoresburg and the pharmaceutical distribution company, right, and now I'm with Freeman Company. Completely, vastly different industries, right, have almost nothing in common, but, and that is the beauty of it. That all added something to my toolbox, right? Um, it added the knowledge from that industry. It added a knowledge from another industry, a different system I've learned. I, I've seen what other companies have done, what worked, what didn't, right? It's not necessarily just a skill that you can say, oh, I, I know how to do a pivot table. It's, it's, it's knowing what didn't work. It's just as useful as knowing what works, right? Something that will keep you from making a, a mistake that someone else already made for you. So that's what yeah. the, the, the toolbox means for me. And um, that's what I try to highlight for my team as well for them not to forget the, the experiences they've had and learn from it and use it all the time, right? I mean, when it comes to our you know, weekly calls, or it used to be monthly, but now it's weekly, we, 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 just like you said, I'm, a, I'm also the chief repeating officer, right? I kind of go over the same things because it almost creates the muscle memory. Yes, absolutely. Right? It's like in sports. I mean, if you do something long yeah. enough, eventually it becomes a muscle memory. Yeah, you you got to take do reps. It. Right, Yeah. exactly. What, um, so when, when you think about uh, the tools to draw from, sometimes let's talk about you working with a customer. And some customers can be really challenging because not everybody's the same. And I've got to believe that one of the tools that you want, and you'd have to train your team for this, or at least change their thinking is, yeah, sometimes you want that tough customer, the one that's a pain. Right. Because you're charged with trying to figure out how to work with them. And you're charged with being incredibly resourceful because the one that's a pain doesn't care about how well you can do a pivot table. Right. What, what's going to get to them is your interpersonal skills. Right. Back to why you're interviewing the way you're interviewing. So when you have customers that are challenging or team that is challenging and and a teammate employee is working with that customer and comes to you and says, man, Val, I, I, I can't do it. Like this customer is driving me crazy. Right. I got to imagine you're trying to change their mind and their viewpoint of that customer to show the value that it is in their individual career to work with someone like that. True. But I think if you wait until they come to you, it's probably too late. Good point. So back to the training, right? And the muscle memory you know, especially in like collections business, right? You do get into a lot of tough conversations, right? Just yeah. by design. Yeah. I mean, this is the field. Yes, that's that what, is that, it. That's what happens. So you better be prepared for it, right? And we go over that all the time, right? How to handle the conversations like that, right? What to say and better yet what not to say. When you speak and when you let them speak, right? And just the kind of common techniques of how to work through those difficult situations, how to de-escalate, how to let someone just let them say what they wanted to say, hear them out, and then see if you can help, yeah. right? And offer a solution or two or three, give them options to choose from. Yeah. So yes, but that, that work needs to happen on the front end. I mean, if you wait until they already on the ledge, you have to talk them off of it. Yeah. You probably wait a little too long. That's why it's so valuable having that team environment where you're doing those training calls and those role plays because the new person, they may have a tough customer, but yet they have plenty of opportunity to listen to all the other ones and they're right. drawing from that toolbox. Right. There's another thing that you do, I love it, and we've talked a lot about it, it's, uh, it's getting 1% better every day. Like you're competing with who you were yesterday 
you're competing with who you were last year. You're just, you're trying to be better personal, professional life. Is that just something you've read? Is that something that you've decided, I'm just going to adopt that methodology? No, I think it's just me. Um, I mean, I wish I could attribute a, a certain book source and say, this is why I'm the way I am. Uh, I guess just my makeup the way I am. Yeah. Um, there's a funny story about um, from high school days. So when, when um, I graduated high school, our parents presented us with high school albums that they prepared for their child. So my dad made one for me, you know, and there were just normal pictures from the class, you know, kind of leading up to graduation. And there was one, a collage that he made, a kind of a cartoon with, you know, the heads cut out and put on top of the cartoon figures of me and my friends, my best friends, all of ours doing our favorite activity. So one guy was sitting in front of TV because he really liked to watch TV. The other guy was on a dirt bike. The other guy had the like, boxing gloves on. And here there was my cartoon. I was on the top of a 10-speed bike while spiking a volleyball over the net with a book in my hand. <laughs> and there was a broken tennis racket on the floor. What my dad was trying to tell me is that I was into so many things, right? And I wasn't specializing in anything. Uh, and we always laugh about this because we, you know, when I show it to my dad, it's like, yeah, well, you're still the same way. Uh, and all jokes aside, I think uh, it, it just kind of followed me through my entire life and professional career. I do get excited about different subjects. I, I do get excited about, you know, different hobbies. Uh, since COVID started, I've been into running, and I, I started running in March of 2020. I haven't stopped yet. It completely consumed my soul. Um, so, so, so this is the, this is the new me yeah. um, in present day. But I mean, there've been other kind of a, a variants of me as I as I was growing up. And again, that all of that contributes to the the toolbox. Man, I'm such a big fan of the 1% better every day. If you do that, like if you were to take the math, talk about skill, right? If you take yeah. the math and work it out and you get 1% better every day, at the end of a year, if you do that for one year, you're 37 times better than what you were at the same point last year. If you work That's a good math. math. So good. it was all done up here, you know, so easy. No calculators. Yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't do that. No, I don't do math anymore. Um, I, I, really, I really like that because in any job, if you're competitive, you know, you want to compete with yourself. Let your competition do whatever your competition is going to do. Right. Don't use them as a measuring stick. Right. You know, because if you do what you need to do better every day, or at least strive for that, you may not achieve it, achieve it every single day. But if you're striving for that, you will, over the course of time, with consistency, beat your competition and become better because you have reps you're learning, you're developing, you're getting training. It's just, to me, that's just a better way to live your life. You're not, you're just not weighing yourself down with extemporary thing, circumstances. Well, and it's, it's more interesting that way, right? To live your life. Imagine when, you, when you're not learning anything new, you're not having any new experiences. And that goes day after day, year after year. Then it's just, yeah. you're born, you go to school, you work, you die. Yeah. But you want to have life in the middle, right? And, you know, we talk about professional setting a lot here, but, it, I mean, you, there shouldn't be a different persona of you in the, in, the, in the business setting than you are in the personal setting. I tell my team that all the time. I said we shouldn't put on a different face coming to the office. We are who we are. Embrace it, mm -hmm. right? 
leave the ugly stuff home, yeah. but bring your best to work, right? I mean, you want to joke around, I'm all for it. I mean, sometimes you would think we're not doing anything, there's so much laughter, right, from, from our uh, team's quarters. But I think remaining true to yourself it is very important to mental health and to success Amen. In, in, in business or in personal life. Amen. Amen. That's why it's so important, as you were talking about, to wrap this whole thing together is that interview that you're doing where you're looking for those interpersonal skills uh, because you want that person to be the same in their personal life and their professional exactly. life because it'd be too hard to manage Oh, I'm 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 work mode, so I need to put on this face. Right. Oh no no no, this is you know, and then you're gonna get them mixed up, and that's just not the person that you. It'd be too much effort. Right. You want to get to the to the real person when you interview someone. Yeah. Because the real person will show up one day. Right. Yeah. And I'd like to know it early on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Who are you? Who, exactly. who is this today? Right. Well, Val, man, it's been great. So I've got to ask as we're wrapping up, because we always try to leave some type of action item for, for those who are listening. Um, what is, I don't know if it's an action item or if it's just something for them to think about, but what would you leave our audience as kind of summing up what you've talked about and shared with us today? I would say for those looking for a template of success or the next step to take, I would say stop looking for a template. Right. I mean, we talk about a lot today about that the life will take you where you, almost all the time where you need to go if you just let it, right? If you let yourself to get there. And the path that we will all take will be very different. So there's really no template. There's no 10 steps of successful people that apply to everyone, right? Instead, focus on building your toolbox, right? Whatever you want to call it. Um, just Anytime you, you work on something, anytime you meet someone new, try to learn something from them, right? Because in the end, that will add to you as a person. It will add to you professionally, right? And all those little successes and experiences and failures alike will contribute to, to something better in the end. So that'd be my, uh, my words of wisdom for today. Yeah. You're talking about, you know, your, your dad gave you an album mm -hmm. with characters and a little bubble on top about mm -hmm. what you're doing. What you said makes me think of that picture where, you know, it's two points and one is a straight line where I'm at now and here's success and it's a straight line and it looks like an easy path when reality is it's just all, all the squigglies, ups and downs, valleys, peaks, troughs. That's what right. you just made me think of. And, that, and that's true. That's the way it's been for me. I'm sure, that's the way it's been for you. I mean, that's just that's life right there. Right. So. Right. Val, man, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today. And for those, our audience that are listening to these podcasts, what great words of wisdom that Val shared with us today, the interpersonal skills. Technical skills can only take you so far. If you're great technically, that's fantastic. Try to work on the interpersonal skills, okay? Because you got to have both. It's not an either or. It is both of them. Thank you so much. If you're looking for the next step in your career or the missing piece for your team, Unity Search has you covered. Whether it's finance and accounting, tax services, information technology, or human resources, Unity Search is here for you with experienced and dedicated hiring professionals. Reach out today and take the next step. Unity Search, placing you first.